why are we doing this? This is why we're doing this. What are we doing? What's our outcome? What are we trying to achieve? How you get there is your business and your style. And I don't want to tell you how to do that, but we need to understand and have a focus on that vision of where we're going. If you've ever read a business book and thought, that sounds great, but how do I actually make it happen? The Grow Together podcast is your answer. Every episode, you'll hear tactics from the world's most thoughtful leaders about how to manage up, improve cross-functional collaboration, and build a high-performing team. I'm your host, Ryan Sidnor. Join me so we can both listen, learn, and grow together. Chuck Talk, Senior Technical Program Manager at Atlassian, joins us on the podcast today. Learn how he disarms bullies by listening with empathy, plays as a team by empowering people to take ownership, and keeps his cool while being a true servant leader. Let's dig in. So, Chuck, thank you for joining me today on Grow's podcast. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course, of course. To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Oh, sure. I'm currently a senior technical partner manager at Atlassian, which is an Australian software company. Actually, we're an Australian t-shirt company with a software problem. Um, If those who know this company know what I'm talking about, but uh, I've been in the software industry, I guess, since about 1989, and I've been working at this business for quite some time. I've had a number of roles, a number of startup companies, I've been through at least five different startups, of which three were successful. And Atlassian is the latest of those uh, and the greatest of those right now. I'd say probably prior to this one, that one that I really loved, uh, there were two that I really loved. One was Dr. Solomon Software, which was an antivirus company, and also SailPoint, an identity management company. But now currently working for Atlassian, which conveniently enough recruited me through a t-shirt contest. I feel like I saw that on your LinkedIn or something. Yeah, tell tell me more about that. Uh, it was a rather funny thing. Uh, Austin Data Geeks, which is, I'm guilty, uh, data scientists and databases and that kind of thing. Uh, they put out a advertisement said, hey, get this free t-shirt. You know, do this, get the free t-shirt. Well, geek like me, t-shirt, you know. Hey, that looks cool. I think I can do that. So I did it and I sent it in and, you know, I was waiting for my t-shirt and then I get this phone call. We'd like to talk to you about a job. And I was like, what? It's like, what are, who are these people? Like, what does this thing do? So I went and met with them and uh, seven and a half years, I'm still here. Wow. Best one I ever made. A uh, very rewarding t-shirt challenge there. It turns into an eight year, eight year roll. Um <laughs> It's interesting that you've been at a number of different startups over your career. Have you always held the same role that you have now, or have you tried out a couple of different roles? Well, I've had many, many roles. Um, Originally, I was a sales engineer with Dr. Solomons. Uh, Prior to that, I'd worked for a little small bar value-added reseller in Texas, but then I sold about, I don't know, somewhere north of 300,000 licenses for Solomon's and then went to work for them directly. Um, That was a great antivirus company. We didn't last long because we got bought out. Uh, But basically, we bought the company for 40 million and 18 months later sold out for 665 million, of which the employees got 20%. So it wasn't bad. Uh, It was really sad the day that we shut down, but then I got the money and it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Makes sense. Yeah. So, but uh, from there, I've gone into uh, support, uh, project management, um, you know, and ended up at SailPoint doing support for a number of years. Um, wanted to do premier support, which was paid support by clients. And I was told that it wouldn't work. So Atlassian actually wanted to do that. And I came here and if you wanted me to do something, just tell me it won't happen. Um, (laughs) i'm very similar if you want me to do something tell me the opposite and i might consider it uh but if you tell me what to do oh i don't trust that let me go figure it out for myself so yes exactly if you're a leader or working on becoming one soon check out the grow leadership community 
Join conversations with other thoughtful leaders to share resources, support one another, connect at meetups, and learn during webinars. Join now at getgrow.io slash community. I've always been Mr. Persistence uh, all my life. I've had a number of different careers and technology was not always it. Uh, I actually started out in oil business. So and when I say in that business, that was because you're a Texan. Guess what? 13, I went to work in the oil field. Dad looked at me and said, son, you will learn the value of a dollar. And I did. Yeah. It's an important thing to learn. Yeah. It's, uh, I've never been afraid of hard work. That's why I look at this business when people are upset or feel, I guess, tense and nervous and you know, get really out there in terms of being upset. And I'm like, but no one's dying here. Mm. We're not dying. So what's this? You know, it's not that bad. What? Uh, obviously, your experience when you're younger helps you have some of this perspective. But in the moment, how do you like not get sucked into the stress or anxiety vortex and kind of like step back and say, hey, let me bring some of this perspective? Well, for me, um, what I tend to do, and this is just my perspective on it, is try to figure out what is the end result we're trying to achieve, uh, take to heart the other person's feelings. And I did this in support for a number of years. It was basically you would get into a situation where the world is on fire, you know. Um, I start the day early, and I'm just strange like that. I get up at 4.30 and walk my dogs and then start work at 6.30 and get things done. Most people wake up and get into the office around 9. The world is on fire. And I'm like, it's no biggie. Let me talk to them and take care of it. Um, because first thing you want to do is acknowledge their feelings, I guess, uh, their stress and say, I hear you. I understand it. Um, but tell me, are you ready to work on the problem? Can we solve it? Let's make a plan to solve it. And that generally will cause people to lose stress quickly uh, because they realize you're there to help. And that's the whole purpose of it. I mean, that's the whole life helping each other and serving someone else and making them actually feel better, calm down, be able to de-stress and it's a phenomenon that I had throughout my time in support. It was <sighs> Chuck's here. And that would just, people would chill. They go from the world's on fire to <sighs> Chuck's here because they knew that I would come in and make a plan to get it solved. And really that's what you have to do is you can't just let yourself get spun up. You've got to take it away and unspin it. Do you think your voice has anything to do with the sense of relief that Chuck's here is so smooth, cool as a cucumber. I would hope so, um, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, my voice always to me sounds horrible. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, when you when you play it back, it's like, who is that? Um, I hear it on recordings, it's like, who is that guy? So you, so you, it sounds like this roughly framework that you've built of like, I'm, I'm listening, I'm acknowledging what you're saying, and then I'm realigning to the goal, yes. reassuring I'm here to help, and then making a plan together. Uh, yeah, exactly. Is something, did you learn that in support? Did you learn it before support? Are you taking it from support to other roles? I do take it from support to other roles, but I learned it well before support because I learned that you know, if you're griping about something uh, back in the oil field, you're not solving anything. Uh, we had serious, serious problems that could have resulted in death. Um, you had to quickly come up with a plan uh, to solve that, to prevent it from escalating. And I've done that in every role I've ever had. It's like, okay, this can go really south and we could make it really bad if everyone just reacted on emotion. Or we could think logically and come up with a plan to solve it. And I'd rather work logically and get it solved than go off and spin off into emotion. And I see that when I, <laughs> I sometimes get colleagues who are spun up, as I like to call it. Um, but when people do get a little bit excited and spun up, I try to calm them down um, 
to get them into the point of realizing there needs to be a goal. You have to find some solution. You can't just, well, you need to do this. And it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's come back to down to earth a little bit and let's rethink this. What is it we're trying to achieve? Well, I need you to, no, no, no. Stop, take some time, take a breath, think about it, and let's go back. What is the end result we're trying to achieve? And sometimes after a while of going through that, uh, they either realize that I need to go think before I come back to you and figure out what it is I'm trying to achieve, or well, what I'm trying to achieve is, okay, let's make a plan to get there. Uh, because that's the first step, is getting them to chill a little bit. Um, and it's not just colleagues. I mean, it's customers, it's people, anyone, really. Uh, is to come back to reality, take a little bit more time. Um, I used to have a saying, several sayings on my wall that I'd love to keep, give myself. One is, the angry person has the problem, don't take it on. Um, which means when someone is upset and they're flying off the handle, first thing to do is to just acknowledge it, push it aside and say, okay, I hear what you're saying. I feel your pain. However, how can we solve this together? How can we come to a solution? And I take that in every role, every conversation. Um, don't get spun up. It's just a waste of time. Grow's feed helps your team stay in sync, celebrate after finishing a task, coach after a presentation, or provide suggestions after a meeting. Whenever you give a grow, we plant a real tree to celebrate your growth. Give your first grow today for free in under a minute. Get started now at getgrow.io. Sounds like some pretty healthy boundaries. Um, There's a friend of mine who, when we were talking about creating healthy boundaries, brought up witchcraft. Because at the end, I don't practice in any shape or form but but it's amazing uh because at the end of a ceremony witches will say i release all energy that is not mine and so there's something really powerful that you're doing with someone who's angry like oh i've been angry i understand what it's like to be angry and i recognize something is making you angry but your anger is not mine so i can be compassionate towards towards your your anger but i don't necessarily have to feel it myself um i think the buddhists have an expression uh, compassion versus ruinous empathy where ruinous empathy is I feel angry too. Yes. Um, like I'm down in the hole with you and compassion is, yeah, that hole looks pretty deep. Um, I'm not going to get in with you, but I'll, I'll send you a ladder to help you get out. Right. Exactly. That is exactly. That's hard to do. Yes, it is. It's not easy. And sometimes I have be honest, I have been guilty of getting angry too. Um, I know one specific instance I did at an actual conference where someone who'd had words um, with me and I had had to bite my tongue the entire time, but it chewed me out and said I was stupid and didn't know things and all these wonderful, nasty, insulting things. And I'm a, I'm a very nice guy. I never really let things get to me. I'm trying to throw them off all the time and just go, okay, that's their problem. But they caught me off guard. Uh, and basically someone brought them to me and shoved them in my face and instantly my brain remembered and went, and apparently it flashed over my face. And then I saw the person physically jump back and I was like, Oh crap. I just let my emotions be seen. That is not something I like to do. Um, and I felt bad because I had let myself, uh, be ruined or ruled, I should say, um, by my own emotion. And that is not something I like to do. And I like to keep emotion out of things because it doesn't solve anything. Um, so, sure, we all have them. Um, you know, if you're talking to your significant other, your wife, your lover, your friend, you know, we all have emotion. Um, but if you're in this context of business, it doesn't need to show. Um, just calm. I like to be calm. Besides, I'm a pretty nice guy. I don't really get riled by much. It takes a lot to rile me. <laughs> yeah, there's something really powerful here, which is uh, maybe to say back to you, an interpretation is like the emotion is healthy, 
but the behavior may not be. So if you're angry and you lash out at somebody, that's unhealthy. If you're angry, say, you know what, I'm angry. And actually that's valid because there's a problem here. Let's make a plan. That sounds like a much healthier way to engage. But sometimes that can be pretty tough. If you're caught off guard, sometimes you let yourself go, oh, and then you go, oh, did I just do that? That was bad. I shouldn't do that. I know better. Um, it's been around this block too many times. You know? I have found labeling to be pretty powerful here. Like, hey, and I feel like you need some level of trust or pre. Like, I don't think that this would fly at the at the conference situation to describe. But like, hey, I'm currently feeling angry because this isn't going the way that I thought it would. Okay, that's on the table. Let's figure out what to do about it. Have you ever tried something like that? Um, I haven't really ever gotten myself into a situation. I, well, I take it back. I, I'm thinking back about one particular case where someone was so negative and it was just impossible to overcome. Um, this was three or four startups ago. And basically the person was had been passed. I didn't know. I was the the last resort project manager on working. (laughs) I did not know that Uh, because they had not told me this, but they're like, we would like you to take on this client. And it was a very well-known client. And I was like, sure, no problem. Want to hand something off to me? Okay, no big deal. The gentleman on the other end of the phone um, would basically just berate me for like, 30 minutes in a row about something that had happened two years prior. And I kept saying, this is not helping. We're not going anywhere. Well, my company hates you and you're, you, you people are just, and it was just a string of this going on for 30 or 40 minutes. And I went on with that for six or seven weeks and I kept trying to get past it. We need to get past this. We need to get past this. Finally, I've had enough. And I just went into my boss and said, I can't work with them. I'm sorry. There's no. Sounds like you weren't the first one. No, I wasn't. I was actually number four. Yeah. Uh, and we only had four project managers. Uh, so at that time, so that was, uh, that was the last one. And everybody was like, well, we can give them to Chuck because Chuck gets along with everybody, which I do. Generally, generally do. Um, but no one. I was like, yeah, that's it. And then. Afterwards, my boss came after they had a conversation with that person and their boss. And they came, he's going to call you at your desk. I was like, nope. Said, no, no, please go pick up the phone. I do not want to talk to that person because I was, I was done. No, you must take this call. I said, I do not want to talk to him. Do you not understand? I do not want to work with him. I can't. Well, they made me, after much cajoling, <laughs> pick up the phone. And it turned out he had to apologize to me, apologize to my coworkers, apologize to everyone. And what I did not know was that his boss and his boss's boss were all on the phone listening in to make sure he did an apology um, to me for what had been said. Um, because it was, I was like, yeah, I can't do anything if you don't want to work. And uh, it eventually did turn out really well because the company did love us and we're like, what? Hate you guys? No, we love you. Hmm. So it turned out it was a bully. Um, But that is actually one of the things I work on here is teaching people how to negotiate with a bully now. So. Oh, tell me, tell me more about that. What is, how, how does one define, I have a sense for what you might call a bully or how to define bully, but what does that mean? And then, yeah, how do you negotiate with one? Uh, Number one, uh, defining a bully is really a, it's a little bit of a fine process, but uh, your average bully is, you know, you'll find them in work and it's really easy sometimes to, you know, well, let me start this over a little bit and thinking about it. When you're, the first time you run into a bully, you don't know what just happened. Quite frankly. There's a whirlwind. It's a whirlwind. You're like, where did that come from? Because (laughs) most of us, most normal humans are geared toward working cooperatively with each other. I would say 99% of the people you're going to get into, and they want to work cooperatively. 
they want to collaborate, they want to deliver, they want to make plans, they want to do the right things. But when you run into a bully, you will immediately go, what? Because was I just bullied? What just happened? It wasn't something you're expecting. I can remember being on with a well-known company and having a conversation with the team that I was working with and everything was going hunky-dory. We were all doing fine and having good conversation, a lot of sharing of ideas. And then one person shows up and everything got silent. And I'm like, what is it? And I said, you know, what about this? And the dead silence. What's going on? And then that person started speaking, and then it was like, oh, someone just joined. And that person, we're not doing that. We're not doing this. They're waiting on this for me. And I was like, wow, what is all this? Where's this coming from? Um, so I read a book that I found very helpful, which is How to Negotiate with a Bully, which talks about the first step is identifying your bully and understanding what kind of a bully they are. Um, if you found the really psychopathic bully, run for the exit. Um, <laughs> but chances are they're already in jail or headed that way shortly. Uh, they're the kind of person that will just they'll cut your throat. Um, but most bullies in business, though, uh, really are the ones that want to be seen as being powerful, uh, being uh, the one in control. Nobody makes decisions without me, uh, that kind of thing. But they're also very much a blocker against their own self-interest and their company's self-interest. Uh, they're often more trouble than they're worth, and you have to work on them to get them to understand things. I remember my bully was telling me that your company is waiting on this for me, and I, I finally read through there, and what you really have to do is go in and take the power away. And so what I said is, nope, not waiting on a thing. Don't need anything from you. We're fine. Let's move on which was unexpected because this person wanted to be seen as the big Mahoff and everybody was waiting on him to make a decision or do something. And it was like, nope, not going to do that. Uh, the other book that I would recommend people read is What Everybody is Saying by Joe Navarro. He's an FBI field agent that specializes in body language. Body language is critical. I think I'm pretty good at it. Um, although my wife says I can't read between the lines on some things, um, but that's probably normal for any married relationship. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, it's really critical to understand people when you're when you're working with them and understand what they mean, and you can generally get a good idea of how things are going uh, if you can read a room and you can read people. Um, you know, if everybody's yawning at you, you're putting them to sleep. Uh, if everybody's intently looking at you, they want to know what you're talking about. Um, you know, if you can see if somebody gets a question in their eye or if they've got an objection to what you just said and you can find out. But I guess the, the best thing that I would remember, ask people to remember, is that uh, it's the same question I was asked when I was first starting uh, as a young man in the 20s in the oil companies, actually in the office and not in the field, uh, was someone asked me, said, talk, what is your best asset? Now, being a young man, thinking that, you know, I'm pretty sharp, I've got a good brain, I can learn, uh, I started talking about that. And he was like, bullshit. I said, what? He said, bullshit. Took me back for for a second, he goes, the best asset you have lives on either side of your head. Open them up and use them. It's called your ears. I was like, oh, that was a different perspective. And he taught me to listen. Listen with intent. Listen to understand. He said, everybody will tell you everything you want to know if you listen. And that's very true. It's very true. So listening in this case is much broader than what some might categorize it as, where some might say, I hear the words that you're saying. And what you're bringing up is listening as a much more holistic practice where you're watching some of their body language and you're listening to the words and you're trying to read between the lines and you're watching if they have a question in their eye or an objection yep. uh, and a facial expression. Um, I'm curious 
you shared with me that uh, you're, you say good morning to people all around the world That's at Atlassian. Right. And there are certainly challenges when you're not co-located, you're not in the office to listen holistically like this. Have you picked up uh, or can you share some of the challenges that you faced potentially in doing this through a video chat um, relative to in-person? And if you've learned anything about doing it more effectively remotely? Um, I would say remotely, it can be a challenge. Um, it's very hard to see everything. As you know, you see the, the talking head here. Yeah. You know, this, the hands or the, yep. is he sitting there or sitting on his hands? Is he, you know, is he, you know, flipping you off in the corner? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never even occurred to me that there was a possibility <laughs> that someone was flipping me off the entire time we were on video chat together until this moment. I was like, oh man, I wonder if I've had any like that. I don't think so, well, but maybe. You never know. But uh, the, the most challenging thing is when you don't have a camera view. I would say that is very hard to hard to stay with. Audio only. Audio only, and you see a name, and you're like, oh, great. Because in this world of video chat that we are currently in these days, the problem is if someone turns off their camera, and I, I respect that. You know, if you don't want to be seen this morning, you're not feeling up to it, that's cool. Um, but if you never turn on a camera... It's really hard for me as the speaker talking to you to understand what is going on. I miss a lot of the visual cue. I list, I have to listen more intently with the verbal cues. And when you're half deaf like me and I'm wearing hearing aid, um, it is basically harder to catch all those inflections in the voice and the tone and to understand. Now, I can catch it. Don't get me wrong. If somebody's really upset about something, I I will catch it and I will say, "Can we have a conversation? I'd like to I'd like to chat after this." And I think you and I should have have a call. And for me, it's important uh, to really listen hard, but it makes it hard, especially in video chat, if you're the only one with a camera on and everybody else has got their camera off. Oh, that's you're looking at yourself and it just feels like really weird weird i'm looking in the mirror having a conversation all i want to do and this is my number one requested feature for all video chats is that turn me off so i can talk and just see the person i'm talking to i know it's good i think i think zoom launched something like that i saw some studies that uh, talked about like zoom fatigue or video chat fatigue and one of the primary reasons is that you see yourself which is unusual in face-to-face -face conversations and you're like slightly delayed right and so you're like processing yourself and that's just not something that we're built for. no we are not built for that at all as human beings we have two eyes and that's it we're not built to see your own face and go oh you know like yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so um do you do anything on your team to encourage video on uh if this is something that, that you have a strong preference for. I, on my team, we pretty much have our videos on and we pretty much, we're a smaller team in, inside of Atlassian. I think there's maybe now about 25 of us in my team. Um, when the team, as these teams grow, like we've got one team that is six or 700 people and on the chat, which will go for pages and pages and pages. It's like, okay, I get it. Everybody can turn their camera off and let's just look at the speaker uh, who's actually talking. Uh, but the speaker will actually ask that people keep their camera on. Uh, harder to do when there's that many people on a call. You know, if you've got a big all hands call, it's pretty impossible. Um, but it does does feel strange, I would say, to have a conversation where you can't see anything but yourself. Um, and it's it's hard to do. It's really hard to do because then you get into that, you know, am I, wow, really? That's what I would like when I talk? Uh, why does anybody talk to me? <laughs> yeah. So on your team, it sounds like you have like a, almost like an unspoken contract. Like, we'll we'll have our videos on for one another. Yes, we do. I, I think that helps because you can tell if somebody gets distracted. You know, if, you, if I was suddenly doing this, you would like, he's not in the call. You know, he's not talking yeah. to anybody. Um, so it's very important, I think, to have that face-to-face. -face. 
So I want to zoom out a little bit and uh, look at some of your trajectory across, you know, project management, support, sales engineering at startups and tech companies. And I'm wondering from a cultural perspective, if you've seen anything in particular that uh, you would caution against, or if you've seen anything that you would say, wow, this is incredible. And I would replicate that wherever I go next. I would definitely say that there is plenty to not do out there. Um, I would say that I've seen it all uh, coming from the oil field, which is very much a sexist and misogynist and very different uh, world. It was, you know, women were secretaries and uh, men were not supposed to type. And uh, I actually... You know, nowadays you look at that and you go, what? Um, but when I started working at my first oil company, I remember I had to requisition a typewriter. This was when there was still a thing called a secretarial pool. But you were relying upon them to get anything done. And so if you weren't bringing them flowers and chocolates and doing all these other things, you might be at the bottom of the pile and you might get a letter out a week. And I was like, this is silly. I could do this all myself. So I requisitioned a typewriter and got out 10 letters one week. And my boss was uh, talking to the other people on my team and like, Chuck got out 10 letters this week. Well, they were very mad at me. How many flowers did he buy? How many boxes of chocolates to get? No, yeah, I mean, I know, but I, like that's that probably was what was they were this. thinking. But I really just had a, had a typewriter and was doing it myself. It's like, yeah, this is not hard. Um, and at the time, he came walking by my office and I'm typing the letter, walks by, looks at me and I'm like, look at him. And he keeps going, going. I'm like, okay, keep on typing. Then he comes back and he goes, what is that thing on your desk? It's a typewriter. Pay you too much to type, take it off your desk. Hmm. Hmm. Can you imagine that being said today? No, no, because now the highest paid jobs in the entire world are all about typing. So exactly. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that was uh, that was just the way it was back then, and things were different. Nowadays, everybody types. You know, in fact, schools here are getting rid of um, handwriting courses, and they're just going for typing. So, you know, a cursive one day will be something like ancient hieroglyphics. I'm afraid, but you know, my cursive looks like ancient hieroglyphics already. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot of people have that same uh, proclivity for cursive, <laughs> so it's it's not bad. All right, but, so uh, the flip side of that would be something like inclusion and belonging, I suppose, where um, there may be more mer meritocratic approach to like who can do what. It's like, well, whoever wants to and is trying and qualified. Um, I would say when I look at where I work now, we're very much open company, no bullshit. We very much play as a team, you know, be the change you seek. You want to do something, you can do it. I think people get, and this is probably something with a little more maturity. Uh, people get into the phase of, I was hired on here. I can only do this. It's like, no, you can do anything you want. And really I learned that a long time ago. You have to adapt. Um, and overcome and you really have to be able to survive and the only way you can do that is to okay this isn't working or i'm not happy doing this find something else to do it's not that hard it's a matter of just having the will uh, to go out and change and do what's necessary at last hand supports that 100 uh, percent not only do we have team anywhere but you can move between teams uh, i've done it now i'm on my third team here so it's all about just being able to go, what is going to work best? What do I want to do? And I think that's something that people should encourage. We encourage it actively as a company. Um, you know, I'm a salesman today. I want to learn how to code tomorrow. Okay, cool. Not a problem. I want to nudge a little bit here because you use the word will, which is like, I, I want to, or I think I can. But I feel like there's almost a step before that related to courage, which is 
like I am not afraid to try in the first place and I will keep trying, which is the will part. I don't know if I'm maybe reading too much into this, but what do you, what do you think? I think you're probably right. Um, I know in my day, if you wanted something, you had to go for it. Uh, when I was young, if I wanted a job, apply and do it. You know, there was no, <laughs> I was actually a recruiter once. And back in that, that day, there was no internet. There was a thing called a phone. Um, that some people, some people still remember those things. Um, but it was, I remember coming into the job and my boss looked at me and goes, there's a phone, get busy. That was your first introduction to recruiting. <laughs> what? <laughs> Pick up the phone, get busy. Okay. So did that. I've never, I guess, been afraid to jump in and do things. And really, I think that's one of the things that makes me successful. Um, I can remember being at a database company where we were hauling out servers and at that time, they were all in rack cabinets, and rack cabinets weighed thousands of pounds. They were not lightweight. Uh, and somebody was coming out from one of the doors, and two guys were carrying this rack cabinet, which they should have had four. Um, and it fell over, and it was about to crush a man. So I jumped in, put my back into it, and I still have a scar in the middle of my back from that. But uh, saved him and saved the rack cabinet and saved them. They were like, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like, yeah, no problem. You know, give me a broom. I, that's what I have to do. I'll sweep. You know, tell me what to do. What do we need done? And I think that's part of the startup mentality too. Is that you have to be able to do whatever is required to get things done. And a lot of people want their job to be defined. Um, I don't. I want to be able to define what the job is. Uh, to go beyond it when necessary to do what is necessary to get the right things done. And I don't know if it's just because I'm Mr. Persistent, uh, you know, I don't give up. Uh, and maybe that was because I was always told I couldn't do something. And I was like, Hmm, I don't think so. I think I can do it. It's just me. Um, you've got to have a little bit of courage, I guess, to go out there and take a chance. If you don't take a risk, you know, the only thing you regret is a risk you never took. So I want to tie this back to something you brought up earlier when you're working with folks who are angry or upset and you listen to them, understand them, and then tether to a goal. And so now you're like, okay, you need the will to do something. I'm saying maybe you need some courage before you even try. And then you need the will to persist. But it sounds like there's another important piece here for you, which is, um, like in the server example, like, Hey, I understood what the company's goal was and what my goal was. And I know that moving this server in this moment was a part of that, a very small part of that, or in your case, a lifelong scarring part of that, but there's some ability that you have to say, like, here, here's the goal. And I understand it. And I understand my role. Is that, yeah. am I hearing that right? That is correct. Um, you have to understand that there is no job, I guess, that should be beneath you. Um, and I think a lot of people were just standing around looking at these poor fellows. And I was like, no, man, it can't happen. You know, we've got to do the right thing. Uh, you've got to be willing to step in and help where necessary. And I think if you do that, um, you will find success will follow. I know that the CEO, actually, I didn't know it, but he saw me do that. And that was a good thing. Um, because for many quarters after that, he would go, Chuck, just want you to know, there's going to be layoffs. You keep doing what you're doing. Your boss, out. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, but, you know, that's because he trusted that I would do the right thing um, and I would step in when necessary. And there were some people that just didn't feel that their job, you know, was to do everything that was necessary. Um I think you have to, if you're, if you've taken on a role, if you've taken on any responsibility, take ownership, really get in there and take ownership. You know, that's important. Um, that risk, that courage you talk about is also for me, it's ownership. Um, I want people to know that I'm serving them well, and I definitely want them to know I have their back. 
And I have been known for at many startups as the guy who will go in when somebody's absolutely, totally PO'd, never going to never love us, hate us. You're the horrible. And it's like, give them a check. And I've gone and told the gal managers, oh, they're mad. Give them to me. What? So just give them to me. Don't worry. I'll turn them around. They'll love us. Soon enough, they're like, oh, you guys are great. <laughs> so, you know, that's it's willingness to take ownership and to stand up and do what's right. Where did you learn about ownership from? <sighs> Probably from my father, um, who was a captain in Korea and kind of a hard man uh, to live with, but uh, he. He had this sign on his desk that I will never forget. Uh, it said, man does not plan to fail. He simply fails to plan. Now, imagine you're an eight-year-old child who's got a problem. <laughs> you come to your father. What was your plan, son? <laughs> plan? Plan? What's a plan? <laughs> Go make a plan. Then yeah, you can my, come back yeah. and talk to me. <laughs> so, my plan was to run across the playground. I don't know. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> At eight years old, you don't have a plan. You don't have plans. But I learned to plan and I learned to uh, be responsible and that if I'm going to do something, I need to do the best I can. It may not be perfect, but do the best you can. That's all you can do. You know, you can't ask anyone to do any more than that. And you can't ask them to do any less than that. Um, but I think those are critical. Those are critical. And I'm I always wanted people to know that when I had a job, that when I was doing it, they could trust that it was being done. And I can remember bosses back in, as far as I can remember, it's like, oh no, give it to Chuck. You know, if I want it done, I know he's got it. I don't have to watch him. I don't have to follow him. I don't have to see what he's doing. I don't have to check up on him. It's done. You know, if I asked him to do it, it's done. So I want to maybe shift the focus a little bit from a lot of what you've learned in terms of principles that you guide yourself by ownership and, and, and listening and compassion, uh, planfulness, and maybe move towards how, if, and how you teach that to others uh, around you, uh, your team members. Uh, you know, I, I think you mentioned to us that you got like, 25 people on your team, but you work with hundreds or maybe even thousands of people across Atlassian. So are you infusing some of this ethos into every interaction you've got? And if so, how? Yes, I do. And I try to teach um, all the time uh, to get a hold of and mentor people and explain to them why we're doing what we're doing uh, to give them pointers, but to help them find their own style. I don't try to make them copies of me. That's wrong. That just won't work. I need them to find their own style, uh, what works for them, but to give them some of the ideas and the concepts, I would say, more than the, the physical direction of go do this. That's not, that's not working. It's like, why are we doing this? This is why we're doing this. What are we doing? What's our outcome? What are we trying to achieve? How you get there is your business and your style. And I don't want to tell you how to do that, but we need to understand and have a focus on that vision of where we're going and to help them understand that I think is critical. If they get it, it works. I mean, the biggest disappointments to me were when I've had people that I started mentoring and they started doing really well and then they were taken away from me. Um, that burns, uh, that hurts. Um, People that I actually mentor, I've had a particular case I'm thinking of uh, where someone came into a company, and I won't say which because that would be too much, um, but they were working here or there within a, a team, and I spoke to their managers, and how are they doing? They've come on board. And I said, well, they started out great, not doing so well now. I said, that's not good to hear. I said, do you mind if I have a conversation? He said, No would love it. I was like, great. Because I knew the person personally. And I had lunch with them and asked them how they liked their job. And I said, I love it. Just great. I said, how are things going in life? And I said, well, I broke up with my girlfriend. Had a problem with my best friend. We're not doing so hot. 
So that's that's great. I said, you like your job though, right? Oh yeah, I love my job. Well, if you like your job, leave that shit at home. He said, what? I said, dude, leave that at home. Pay attention, focus on your work, and get it done. You're not doing so well. So I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you this is how it is. So you need to do that. Do you know they clean up their act, got their stuff together, did fantastic, received promotions, actually came to me in an event and thanked me uh, for having that conversation with them and snapping them out of it. Um, it basically changed their life. Very successful young man and married and has children now. And uh, it's just, that's the kind of result that you want. You have to be honest with people. And that's a little bit of radical candor, I guess. At the same yeah. Time. Um, but it's a little bit of teaching moment. You know, I think you do people more harm than good if you don't tell them what's wrong. Sure. Um, I would talk to even the biggest bullies that I've had to negotiate with. I will tell them, dude, um, if you don't clean your act up, you know, things are going to change. People are going to get riled and you're not going to be here. So you need to change. Uh, I was working on that change with someone who unfortunately didn't make the cut because we got to a point and somebody else within the organization made the call. Um, you know, but I try to help everyone, even the people that are most impediment to getting things done, try to help them turn them around and see what, the, what needs to be done. So, so there's a new, a new principle emerging from you. So there's like, stay tethered to the goal and kind of like act like an owner on the way there, be empathetic. And then there's something related to, um, authenticity here where you are teaching other, uh, yeah, teaching others how to fish in their own way, right? Like, Hey, fish is really nutritious. And if you catch a lot of it, you'll be healthy for a long time. I know that cause I've tried it myself, but I'm not going to tell you how, how necessarily exactly how to do that. Um, so there's an authenticity piece for you as a leader. And then there's also a trust piece where, you're willing to be honest, even if it's uncomfortable. And that seems to earn a lot of trust from others, especially in the long run. Yes, I think honesty is the key to trust. Um, that's one of our values here in this company is, you know, we have open company, no bullshit. And what that really means is be honest. Uh, you know, I may not be the right solution for everybody. You know, what we're doing may not be right for everyone, or there may be a better alternative out there, but be honest. You know, if there is something that needs to be done or can't be done even, or if it's a bad answer, get it out there. Just speak up. Don't, don't try to hide. I mean, that just causes problems down the road. Um, as we we know if you attempt to lie, well, you forget the lie. And then now you got to remember what you forgot that you lied about. And it's like, that never works. Just be honest. It's so simple. And it makes life better. It sounds simple, but sometimes it can be challenging. Um, have you ever encountered or I maybe, maybe even ask it more bluntly. I'm going to assume you've encountered a challenge here. We're like, should I be honest about this? Oh, this is really going to be a tough conversation. Uh, how did you come get over that to, to decide to then go and be honest? Well, um, yes, I have. And uh, it's, <laughs> it was a common thing that used to happen where a salesperson would promise something that wasn't true. Um, and Classic. Now you are stuck with the bad impression that someone has given them. And for me in, in support, it was like, no, that does not exist. I have to be honest here and tell you that does not exist. I'm sorry you were given that impression that was wrong. This does not exist. Let's come back and figure out how we can come up with a solution to achieve something similar. Uh, but it does not exist. It's just not worth it. I've been in situations where people have asked me to, um, the worst one was someone asked me to actually lie about something and I'm like, nope, I can't. I will. Oh, you were explicitly asked to lie. Yes. Mm. And I said, no, 
Uh, it didn't make me any friends with that person, but um, this was a serious, serious thing for me. And I was like, nope, can't do it. Won't do it. Never will. Um, it's just not right. And you know, it was something about earnings. And I was basically, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, but that's, you know, that's the right thing to do is just to be honest. Uh, if you're, you know, I, I felt bad because this was supposed to be a leader and that is not the kind of thing I would ask anyone to do ever. Yeah, absolutely not. And if somebody asked me to do that again, I'd probably go, well, see you. Have a good day. <laughs> Have a good day or not, and I won't see you again. Ever. Yeah. Well, if I'm dealing with you and uh, looking at you, go, no, I have a nice day now, you hear? It's not exactly <laughs> meaning that. <laughs> but that's reading like, between the nice lines. Day. That's, that's yeah. a full body listening. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's just like if somebody from South says, oh, aren't you precious? Bless, bless your precious heart. Yes. I heard that one. Yes. Well, Chuck, I think that's all I had for you today. Um, I wanted to thank you again for, for taking the time to, to chat with us on our podcast. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it, Ryan. It's uh, been a wonderful experience, and uh, I hope that people find value in it. I hope that uh, people take ownership and do the right thing and are honest and just understand that no matter what, you're not going to die from somebody yelling at you. I was always told that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, the way I look at it is we're all human, and all we're trying to do is build a connection with the other person on the other end of the line. That's It's that simple. Just take it a little bit at a time, do the right things. It'll work out. That's wisdom. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for spending your time with us. If you learned something today, please like and subscribe. If you want to share thoughts on what you liked, what we could do better, who we should talk to, or anything else on your mind, please leave a comment or email us support at getgrow.io.